In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in the brief section from his first letter to the Corinthians that Debbie read just a few moments ago, St. Paul takes us immediately to level 10. He pushes all of his chips in. When he says there's no resurrection, or he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. If this is not true, he's saying, if this specific detail that Christ literally rose from the dead, then we should all just go home. And not just go home, but limp home with little hope. If this is not true, then as Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if this is the case, then why does the resurrection matter so much? Why does it matter so much to St. Paul? When I was a child, I remember or recall thinking of the resurrection as basically just some sort of magic trick that God pulled on Easter morning, sort of a, oh, I forgot the joke I was going to say. That was not a magic trick. Um, uh, have pity on me. Um, so when I was a kid, I thought, this is, this is great. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to think that the resurrection was just something we just talked about, like once a year. It wasn't something that was focused on, at least in, not in my memory. It seemed like we pretty much talked about it once a year, and then we just got back to the business of becoming better Christians, or at least trying to be better Christians. Thankfully, I experienced my own small version of the great reversal when I heard the gospel message in this very church. When I heard about the grace of God and his unconditional mercy for the lost and for the lowly, for people who forget things in the pulpit, uh, it flipped the entire script of things in my head. And all of this that we talk about, this was what was flipped in my mind. The simple fact that all that we talk about on Sunday, week after week, all that we pray about, all that we sing about week after week after week, it is entirely about the power of God and His gift to us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our own self-improvement projects. And it turns out that God flipped this script in all of our minds 2,000 years ago. Throughout all of the New Testament, throughout all of Jesus' ministry, throughout the entire Bible itself, if you look closely enough, what you see is one reversal after another. In the majority of Christ's own interactions with people, there's always, it seems, a reversal of some kind. And not just in the miraculous healing sort of way. Jesus, when he interacts with people, when he interacts with the optimistic, with the powerful, with the rich and the overeducated and the pious men of his day, they don't hear what they're expecting to hear, or they don't hear what they want to hear from Jesus. While the poor, the hungry, the sinners, the vagabonds, well, they, they all get thrown a feast. The aging and the infertile couple are not only given a baby in the book of Genesis, but their children's children become the people of God. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. 
A zealous Pharisee and murderer of Christians known as Saul would be called by God to proclaim the gospel of Christianity to the entire world. And that man would later be known to us as St. Paul. God's gift to the unworthy, his gift of grace to you and to me, it's paralleled by and it's based on and it's made possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God raised the crucified Jesus who was in human terms worthless. He was, after all, a dead body and who was in Jewish terms cursed. Jesus was raised from the dead as the great reversal of all things, not as some theory or theological chapter in his short life, but so that the living Christ may make these great reversals happen today in your life and in mine. I think that that statement that I made a moment ago about my memory from childhood actually says quite a bit, that we often contain this theme of reversal to the day or to the season of Easter alone. And instead, we invest the rest of our days and our faith in the hope of becoming better Christians and better people. We tend to either be in a state of thinking that we can get through this rough patch of life on our own with a little extra willpower, a little extra elbow grease, that when the going gets tough, we need to focus and we need to get to the business of being better and just about every aspect of our lives. Or we feel the literal or the metaphorical tomb close in behind us and in that moment we call out for deliverance. For better or for worse, we tend to spend about 99% of our time operating with the former mindset rather than the latter. You might be familiar with a man named Terry Bradshaw, either as the four-time Super Bowl winning quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers or as a popular sportscaster Or maybe you remember him from his Oscar-worthy role in that classic film, Failure to Launch, where uh, he takes his pants off. Um, But you might not know that Terry Bradshaw, in a recent article, in a recent interview with Esquire magazine, confessed that he struggled with crippling depression for the majority of his life. Therapy, thankfully, has been a tremendous help in Bradshaw's life. But as he says, there are things that happen in my life, certain disappointments that send me over the edge. I guess it's something I can't control. We all have trials, Bradshaw says, but those that fight the battle and wail away at the demons and finally crawl out of that hole, well, that's to whom and that's where you will receive your blessing. This undoubtedly can be a powerful message of hope to many. The first time that I read it, I was moved by it, and I felt a sense of of joy and peace for Bradshaw. And I think it speaks to a lot of us who, who, upon reading this, no longer feel alone and feeling like we're lost in a dark place. And his words definitely ring like some sort of great halftime speech, pumping us up, keep fighting the battle. Keep crawling out of this hole. Let's win this thing. But after a little bit of thought, I couldn't help but think, I wish that Terry had heard more. 
I wish that he was clinging to something a little bit more than himself. Because it sounds to me, after some reflection, that Bradshaw, like many of us, is still feeling very much like he's still down in that hole. Because by pointing to his own strength, a level of strength and determination that's been eroded by the very darkness that he's trying to escape from, well, he sounds like so many of us when we sound like the man drowning in quicksand trying to save ourselves by yanking up on our own head of hair. If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. If there's no resurrection, if Jesus was just a man who gave us a good halftime speech and then just died, well, then what are we doing here? And more importantly, what hope do we have in digging ourselves up out of all of these holes that we keep falling into? In 2014, at the University of Pennsylvania, they had an epidemic of six students commit suicide in just one year. The school put out a study that unsurprisingly pointed to the high levels of anxiety amongst its students, brought on by the need that so many of them felt at this Ivy League school to, to be and to perform perfectly as they saw it. In a follow-up to that study, the New York Times interviewed one of the Penn students named Catherine DeWitt. I think she was 19 or 20 years old at this time. And she recalled how devastated she had felt when she uncharacteristically scored in the 60s on a calculus exam. And her head immediately spun into this place. I had a picture of my future, she said. And as that future deteriorated, I just stopped imagining having any future at all. When we fail, when we make mistakes or when tragedy enters into our lives, it can feel like we've been cut off from any future at all, like the hole has gotten deeper, like we're down there alone and that there's no way out. What we need is a savior, someone to rescue us from the deep, to bring us back to life, to flip the script, to make something out of nothing, to make something out of this life, to reverse the course of expectations and the systems that consume us in our thoughts into thinking that the only the prosperous, only the well-kept, only the successful people, only the sinless people of this world, those people are the only people who will inherit happiness and maybe even the kingdom of God. But Paul says in Romans that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification. This defeat of death, it's no insignificant part of the Christian story. It reaches all the way to you here today, to the scars of all of the smaller deaths in your life, to your shame of what you've done or what's been done to you, to your fears about your future, to the depression that you're feeling this morning, to all the many things that feel out of control in our lives. In the cross and in the resurrection, God has taken sin and death, everything dragging you down into that hole and placed it upon himself. Though it might not 
be visible. Christ has defeated all of these things. Christ rules over death, which means that even in the darkness, He is in control, that His gracious eyes are on you, that He's more powerful and His love for you is stronger than any hold death may have upon you or any of the rest of us. I'm going to close with an image of this, of God reversing our own expectations of who He is, how He works, and how He sees us. And then you can all get home and start making your Super Bowl chili. This is a brief excerpt from Gregory Boyle's uh, great book called Tattoos on the Heart. God can get tiny if we're not careful, Boyle writes. I'm certain we all have an image of God that becomes the touchstone, the controlling principle to which we return when we stray. My touchstone image of God comes by way of my friend Bill Kane. Years ago, he took a break from his own ministry to care for his father as he died of cancer. His father had become a frail man, dependent on Bill to do absolutely everything for him. Though he was physically not what he had been, and the disease was wasting him away, his mind remained alert and lively. In the role reversal common to adult children who care for their dying parents, Bill would put his father to bed and then read him to sleep, exactly as his father had done for him in his childhood. Bill would read from some novel, and his father would lie there, staring at his son, smiling, Bill was exhausted from the day's care and his own work, and he would plead with his dad, look, here's the idea. I read to you, then you fall asleep. Bill's father would impishly apologize and dutifully close his eyes. But this wouldn't last long. Soon enough, Bill's father would pop one eye open and smile at his son. Bill would catch him and whine, now come on, Dad. The father would again oblige until he couldn't anymore, and the other eye would open to catch a glimpse of his son. This went on and on, and after his father's death, Bill said that this evening ritual was really a story of a father who just couldn't take his eyes off his child. Boyle says, well, how much more so with God? How much more so with our Father in heaven? Behold the one beholding you and smiling. He is our risen Lord. The resurrection shows us how God works, not by rewarding the successful, but by holding caring for and lifting up the lowly, by taking the dead and making it alive again. The resurrection shows us who God is. It gives us an image of who God truly is, not some far-off man in the clouds, so distant that we can barely see him, waiting for us to get our acts together and meet him up there in his place of righteousness. Instead, through the cross and through the resurrection, the image we're given, the image we expect, it's all reversed. 
What we see is a God who cannot take his merciful eyes off of us. Not in this life full of so many holes and pits along the way. And not even in death. Our faith and our hope, they're not in vain because our faith and our hope are not in ourselves. They're in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, is risen. Yes, as we say on Easter morning, the Lord is risen indeed. Amen.